Welcome to Behold and Become, a podcast about faith with me, Robert Black. Welcome to episode 46 of Behold and Become. And before we get into the content of this episode, welcome if you've joined the podcast audience recently. I've heard from some people via email and even from the social networking site, Reddit, that people are have found this podcast online and are listening to it, and I am so glad that you are. Now, when I started this podcast in about May or June of 2020, it was a way to provide formational content for the people of St. Luke's when we couldn't gather for uh, in-person formation, Sunday school offerings, and those sorts of things, and it's grown from there. So the audience now includes people who are not a part of this particular parish, and I think that that's wonderful. That's clearly the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to give you all just a little bit of a taste of who I am and who this congregation is since you've joined us. So again, my name is Robert Black. I'm the priest here at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Salisbury, North Carolina, in the Diocese of North Carolina. I've been the priest here since 2014. I have an undergraduate degree in religion, from Wake Forest University, a Master's of Divinity from Virginia Theological Seminary, and a Doctorate of Ministry from Sewanee. So those are sort of my credentials. And though I have those pieces of paper to show that I read some books, it's really the books that are driving most of the podcasts, and particularly this series. And so someone suggested to me that I include the books that I'm referencing in the show notes to make it easier for you to follow up and go back and see the things that I've referenced, especially if you're maybe listening to this podcast while you're doing dishes or driving or or someplace where you can't just stop and write things down. So I'll start adding those to the show notes. Also want to tell you just briefly about this wonderful parish that I serve. St. Luke's was established in 1753 by an act of the Colonial Assembly. We're in the heart of downtown Salisbury, and we are a community with a focus on abundant grace, intentional worship, and beloved community. If you want to learn more about this parish, you can visit our website, www.sls.church. So now, on to the content of this episode. As we continue the series on various atonement theories, today we turn to what is called the moral influence theory. Now this motif focuses on how it is that the cross is not only about justification, but also we might say sanctification. That is, it helps us to grow into the full stature of Christ as an example. The main proponent of this theory is Peter Abelard, a medieval French theologian. Abelard was proposing an alternative to Anselm's satisfaction theory of atonement. Now, the short version of it is that Abelard was making the claim that Jesus' death is the demonstration of God's love for us. And seeing this love, we are then transformed. So our sinful hearts and minds are turned back toward God in response to seeing a love that is so deep, so broad, and so true. As it is often described, the moral example that Jesus gives us is that of his steadfast love and his humility. The passage in scripture that serves as the foundation for this idea comes from Philippians 2. Scholars generally say that St. Paul is quoting a hymn that was in circulation in the early church. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, 
though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The idea here is that the mind of Jesus was that of humility and obedience. So if that mind is to be in us, then we are to have the mind and follow the example of humility and obedience. Now, the Greek word for this emptying is kenosis. So sometimes you'll hear scholars use that word or will even speak about kenotic theory. Now, in an anthology of essays about kenosis, Jurgen Moltmann, a theologian, has a chapter in which he writes... The lamb slain from the foundation of the world is a symbol to show that there was already a cross in the heart of God before the world was created and before Christ was crucified on Golgotha. From the creation, by way of reconciliation, right down to the redemption, God's self-humiliation and self-emptying deepen and unfold. He then goes on to write that love is what is behind this self-giving humility, which is at the very heart of God. And it is actually this canonic love that makes God, God. Moltmann writes, If we start from God's kenosis, we discover his almighty power in his almighty suffering patience. It is not God's power that is almighty. What is almighty is his love about which Paul says, Love is long-suffering and kind. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In this eulogy of love, Paul heaps up the words invoking the all. Through the power of his patience, God sustains this world with its contradictions and conflicts. As we know from human history, Patience is the most powerful action because it has time, whereas acts of violence never have time and can therefore only win short-term victories. Patience is superior to violence. God does not sustain and rule the world like an autocrat dictator who permits no freedom. He is more like a suffering servant who bears the world with its guilts and its griefs as Atlas carries the world on his shoulders. That was a little bit of a long quote, but it's a really good one, and it points to what St. Paul talks about, calls the most excellent way of love. And that's what the cross puts before us, a love that surpasses all understanding, that forgives all sin, that overcomes all death. And so the moral influence theory takes that example of love on the cross and puts it front and center. Now, functionally, this love transforms all things. In this same anthology that I'm referring to, there's a British priest and scholar, Keith Ward, who writes, In the cross and resurrection of Jesus, nature is shown to be one of unrestricted love, and as one that does not simply eliminate suffering, but shares in it and overcomes suffering by the patience of love. 
Now, one of the complaints that I hear most about focusing on the cross, particularly in Lent, when at St. Luke's we have a crucifix instead of our typical bronze altar cross, and sometimes it also comes up in the context of teaching about the apostles and Nicene creeds, it's that we focus too much on the death of Jesus and not enough on his life, namely the healing, teaching, and exorcisms of his ministry. However, James Cone, in The Cross and the Lynching Tree, writes, But the cross speaks to oppressed peoples in ways that Jesus' life, teachings, and even his resurrection do not. The cross places God in the midst of crucified people, in the midst of people who are hung, shot, burned, and tortured. Cone goes on to cite examples of blacks in the American South who spoke boldly of faith and hope in the face of their impending lynchings by comparing their deaths to that of Jesus on the cross. Liberation theologians also turn to this motif when seeking to find comfort and salvation in the cross, not only after death, but in the midst of life, and often a life that is oppressive in demeaning for those who are marginalized and in poverty. And so this moral influence theory really does help us to see that the cross is about so much more than the death of Jesus. It is about his entire way of being, his entire life. Now, one caution for this motif, though, is not to think too highly of ourselves, right? We have to remember that Jesus, in addition to being a man from Nazareth, he's also Christ, the second person of the Trinity through whom all things were created. So yes, it's called the moral influence theory or the moral example theory, but we've got to remember that we're not going to be perfect in living the way that he did. We are not going to be perfect in obedience in the way that he was. Fleming Rutledge helpfully points out that Jesus is not only the example, he is the exemplar. Yes, he gives us the pattern to follow, but he is the pattern itself, the prototype. We can imitate him, but we will never fully be him. But it's so good to have a goal, right? As long as we're clear that we will always rely on the grace of God and that we will never fully arrive at perfection in this lifetime, then we're all good, and the cross can be a wonderful example for us. Now, this isn't to say that we're not going to grow in holiness, but holiness only comes from the one who makes us holy, that is God. We might grow to be more godlike, but we do not become God. Humility, remember, is an important part of this motif, so we have to ensure that we don't lose sight of that, and that's true of any time we want to talk about example or uh, sanctification or holiness. Now, to me, this motif is a really good and necessary way of understanding the passion of Christ. Those of you who are familiar with my preaching know that I often use a line that comes from John Howard Yoder that's been picked up and really advanced by Stanley Hauerwas, where is where I actually first heard it, and he talks about the grain of the universe. Here's the original quote from Yoder. People who bear crosses are working with the grain of the universe. One does not come to that belief by reducing social process to mechanical and statistical models, nor by winning some of one's battles for control of one's own corner of the fallen world. One comes to it by the sharing of life of those who sing about the resurrection of the slain lamb. Hauerwas then picks this idea up, and he develops it in his Gifford lectures and an ensuing book titled Grain of the Universe. In other words, what the cross is doing is it is showing us the fullest, 
deepest, purest, and truest depiction of God. It shows us what is most natural about the world, a self-giving and humble love that has no boundaries. This is the grain of the universe. Love is the grain of the universe. And that is one of my standard phrases in preaching. You all know that. And because that is the case, that love is the grain of the universe, it leads into another phrase that you hear me use often from Julian of Norwich. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Now, there's a context, of course, for that passage, right? It's not all about rainbows and just everything being perfect. It actually comes out of this idea of the passion. In her Revelations of Divine Love, Julian writes, And thus pain, it is something as to my sight for a time, for it purgeth and maketh us to know ourselves and to ask mercy. For the passion of our Lord is comfort to all of us against this. And so is his blessed will. And for the tender love that our good Lord hath to all of us that shall be saved, he comforteth us readily and sweetly, signifying thus, It is sooth that sin is the cause of all pain, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. So we see that Julian, writing in the 1300s, is connecting this passion of love to the redemption of all things. If we trust that all shall be well, well, then that transforms how we live now. That's the moral influence. The case has been made that love wins, and so we can live in that victory. And that's what this particular atonement theory does so well. This wellness becomes an example for our lives in the here and now. As we read in 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. As our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, says, love is the way. And the cross shows us just how powerful, how deep, how radical, how selfless this love is. It is a love to lighten our hearts and minds that the radiance of God's love might shine through us and to all the world. And this love can be found even in the midst of great horrors and brokenness like the cross. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the blessing of God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen.